Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Race Haven Radio Show and Podcast. Your source for solutions-focused dialogue about race in America with your host, Scott Speed. Hello and welcome to the Race Haven Podcast. This is solutions-focused dialogue about race relations in America. My name is Dr. Scott Speed, and I am the facilitator of the dialogue. This is episode 21 of Race Haven, and today I'm joined by my friend and co-host, John Costino. Welcome back, John. How are you? I'm doing great, buddy. And yourself? I am doing great. So we, we, we missed your last uh, show, and um, my grandmother filled in for you. I'm not sure if you had a chance to uh, listen to that show yet, but, um, you know, we had her come on, and she shared some, some great insights from a historical perspective uh, of a woman being 95 years old uh, living in America. And while you were uh, traveling, globetrotting, and uh, visiting, uh, was it Tanzania? Yes, sir. Turkey and Tanzania and Dubai. Wow. So how, how was that journey? Uh, I came home and spent a week in bed. They said I was severely dehydrated and exhausted, so apparently I didn't take good care of myself. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm, I hope that you had a chance to take in some of the culture in all three of those countries and um, all three very different countries and, and different parts of uh, the world. So really exciting, and we'll talk more about that offline because my curious mind wants to know. Um, but aside from that, um, you know, today we're going to dialogue about the recent Colin Kaepernick uh, protest that has really captured the attention of the country. You literally can't turn on any news station or any sporting station or any talk show uh, where they are not talking about uh, Colin Kaepernick because a week ago he chose to sit down during the national anthem at a preseason football game. For those of you who don't know, Colin Kaepernick is a professional football player for the San Francisco 49ers, and he is currently the backup quarterback, and he's currently competing for the starting position. And he's taken a stand of uh, sitting down, you know, during this, the pledge of, I'm sorry, during the national anthem, where uh, it's a tradition in sports where all the teams and the players and everyone in the stadium typically stands up and uh, pays homage while the song is played. And Colin Kaepernick decided that uh, as, a, in, as a protest and in solidarity with uh, activists who are fighting for uh, social justice in America, he decided that he was going to sit down. Now, the interesting thing is he's, he had been doing it all preseason, but it wasn't noticed uh, until last week for the first time. So today we're going to, uh, John and I are really going to dive into this uh, 
you know, this, this issue or debate or whatever you want to call it uh, that's been raging and give our perspective on it. And we're going to use the backdrop of an article that John shared with me, uh, which we'll get into a moment. But first, I'd like to tell you, our listeners, about how uh, you can become a patron of this show. You see, my goal is to have an entirely user-supported show free of advertisements. So I created a Patreon page, which is, which is um, similar to a Kickstarter, for those of you who are familiar with a Kickstarter, where people who are supporters of a concept uh, can support it by do- giving a small donation or contribution online in exchange for a perk or a gift. Okay. Well, our Patreon page uh, has all the details uh, so that our listeners can earn cool perks like a custom Race Haven t-shirt by supporting the ongoing improvement and quality of this show. So please visit racehavenpodcast.com and click on the button that says become a patron to see all the details. So we, before we explore our topic for today's show, I want to tell you why dialogue is the foundation for this show and why dialogue is greater than debate. Because like usual, whenever there's a, you know, a heated debate going on in our country, or there's a differing of perspectives uh, about a particular topic around race uh, in this country, and pretty much about everything, uh, you'll see people on television and the media and all forms of media having these heated debates. And everyone's trying to win. You know, everyone's trying to win uh, other people's you know, everyone's trying to beat the person they're talking to and make them see and believe exactly the way they see and believe. And there's very little dialogue going on. So one of the things that, you know, I envisioned when creating this concept and John um, partnered up with me because he envisioned and believed in as well is in something called dialogue. So in dialogue, as I said, well, let me start with debate. In debate, there can only be one winner. But in dialogue, participants work together towards collective solutions literally working towards win-wins. And each week, I'm going to share with you a different example of how dialogue is greater than debate. So this week, I want to share with you that in dialogue, one listens to understand, to make meaning, and to find common ground. So as you listen to John and I talk about these various issues, even though we oftentimes start out with different positions, ultimately, we do those things. We listen to one another. You're not going to hear us cutting each other off. You're going to hear us listening to one another. Uh, We're going to literally try to make meaning and really try to understand where the other person is coming from, even though at times it can be very hard. And ultimately we attempt to find common ground and more often than not, we're successful with doing that. And hopefully we can model that uh, for, for the listeners. And it's something that our listeners can go out and share and implement in their lives as well. And to contrast that in debate, one listens to find flaws, to spot differences, and to counter arguments. So you see in debate, very rarely are people listening to really gain a deeper understanding. It's like, how can I counter what that person just said so I can get a point, right? Or how can I find the flaw in what that person said? So John and I, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm not perfect at this. I'm a work in progress, and I'm constantly reading uh, tenets on, on dialogue. I read a book about dialogue, and I share excerpts from that book at our Race Haven uh, community dialogue page on Facebook because we're all a work in progress. But the one thing that I can say that I am proud of is that myself and John and as well as the other members of the group, while we're all imperfect, we're working on it. And that's, that's the best thing that we can do. We're working towards, uh, you know, being better at dialogue versus debate. So for this show, our framework for authentic dialogue is this. Participants listen with a sense of curiosity and ask questions to uncover the underlying assumptions and beliefs 
behind someone's statements. Participants are willing to communicate their thoughts openly and honestly while putting aside emotions, defensiveness, and a desire to be right. And finally, participants approach someone who sees a problem differently, not as an adversary, but as a colleague in common pursuit of better solutions. So welcome to the dialogue. John, are you ready? I sure am, buddy. Awesome. So John sent an article to me this week. Um, Actually, let me back up. (laughs) So as usual, I am a social media activist, okay? Uh, I, am, I wear that title, and I don't mind being that. I lo- use social media as a platform for my activism. And what, the way that I like to be an activist is, you know, I like to share a lot of information, a lot of articles. And I understand that if you don't know me, uh, you may think that I'm arguing or trying to debate with people the same way everyone else is out in the, in the blogosphere and social media sphere, or just media in general, but in my heart and in my mind, I'm really trying to teach and really just trying to help people gain a little perspective and context because I perceive there to be such a huge communication gap in our country. Like a lot of people say, we literally, when we say, when I say we in this sense, uh, as an African-American who grew up in a poor to working class African-American community um, and went to school in an impoverished, deeply impoverished uh, African-American community for the first nine years of my life, um, the way that I envisioned the world and the way I perceived the world and the way I, based on the things I saw and experienced and the things that the people around me saw and experienced as I was growing up, when I contrast that to some of my European-American friends who um, grew up in their uh, environment, whether it be working class, lower class, or, or, or upper middle class, uh, or even affluent, just because America is very segregated, we tend to see the world completely differently. And because I have friends across the the spectrum, I'm able to perceive and see how, for example, when something like the Colin Kaepernick issue happens, I see how my African-American friends perceive it. And those friends, and I'm generalizing because not all African-Americans think or see things the same. I'm generalizing here. Uh, But how the majority of my African, African-American friends uh, perceive it. And then I look at how some of my European-American friends are perceiving it, or more importantly, if it's not them, how some of their friends, because on social media, I can read the comments of their friends um, and what they think, and that allows me some insight into how they're thinking. And I just perceive it's amazing how we literally see the same issue or the same act, and we see it completely different ways. So one of the reasons why, again, why we created this podcast is to, for John and I to be able to talk about. So, you know, there's so much context and nuance that gets lost through text-based communication on social media and the news and et cetera. But this platform allows John and I to really talk it out and, and you know, kind of peel back some of the layers on all the complexity and the nuance from two very different perspectives. And I hope that into this point, I've, you know, we've gotten feedback that it truly does help our listeners. So if you're listening to us for the first time, I hope that this will, you know, this conversation, this dialogue will do the same for you. So as I was posting all these various things on social media throughout the week, John sent me an inbox message and he said, he said, Scott, and and when I say social media for me, it's Facebook. So he says, Scott, I know how you feel about it. He said, but here's an article with an open letter that I support. So and he said, we can use it for the show. So when I read the letter, um, you know, John supported the letter. And I immediately, again, 
my knee-jerk reaction is I don't support the letter. But my dialogue-minded reaction was to really think deeply and try to empathize with where the author was coming from, and I'm going to do that on this show uh, while at the same time you know, sharing with all of you what my knee-jerk reaction and what I will assume a lot of uh, African-Americans will perceive and some of the disconnects. There's definitely some disconnects in how the author, you know, interpreted Colin Kaepernick's actions versus what activists uh, like myself, as well as Colin Kaepernick and the people that he's supporting, um, how they would, you know, how they perceive his actions. So with that being said, um, you know, John, before I go into, I'm going to actually read the letter, but before I do, did you want to add anything or provide any context? Yeah, um, for me, honestly, and I'm going to be brief because I want you to get to the letter so we can spend the time dialoguing, but for me, it's really important to be clear about, you know, the intent. And the reason I say that is, you know, we've been doing this now for Lord knows how many months, Scott, and I say it all the time and I'll continue to say it. The awareness that I've gained, the education, you know, that I've been able to experience is a result of one thing. It's not the information, it's the messenger. And I say this very humbly and, again, not blowing sunshine up your skirt, but you have (laughs) taken the time to speak effectively, not intelligently, not well-educated, effectively. You communicate to an audience so that they can understand what you're trying to say. And so my point in sending that letter to you and hoping that we would turn this show into what we've done is Colin Kaepernick has every right to speak his mind. He has every right to sit and not stand. I'm not going to debate that because that's what America is all about. But what I've always said, and I'm going to tie this all the way back to an original dialogue we had on Black Lives Matter, it's if you're going to shut, open your mouth and speak and try to share your thoughts with people, it doesn't matter what you think. You have to be concerned about the audience you're trying to affect. If you don't care whether or not they get it, then say anything you want. Say it as stupidly as you want. But if your goal is to raise awareness, to gain you know, a positive impact, then you've got to be, you know, much more clear in your message and you've got to choose your words more, more wisely and more closely. And I've had to do this myself in my career. I would say things and people would say that's offensive and I'd say, well, then get over it. And it was my immaturity in if you don't understand what I'm saying, that's your problem. And then I had to realize if I'm trying to affect change and be positive and raise awareness and, and gain people on my side of the fence, then I've got to be coming from a perspective that they'll first understand and appreciate and then possibly accept. So my whole point is not so much whether he has the right to sit down and protest or even to say anything that's on his mind. It's when you do that, be prepared for the repercussions. If you're not concerned about the audience that you're speaking to, then be prepared for a backlash. And that backlash has every bit, the same right and justification as the original freedom of speech. So that being said, I just wanted to put it out there that I'm not against Colin Kaepernick or his right to do or say, it's just, what's your goal? What is your intent when you actually open your mouth? Okay. And I I know there's some people out there uh, that would even challenge your sentiment that, um, 
if he articulated things differently, that people, the backlash wouldn't have been as, wouldn't have been as severe um, because there's a sentiment out there. Yeah, that's their Mm -hmm. right, but that doesn't make it correct. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. It doesn't make it correct. Um, But, you know, just kind of history has shown that anytime anyone has stood up to advocate for African-American people and, you know, to say that uh, there's a segment, a large segment of African-Americans who aren't being treated fairly, there's always been this huge pushback. Um, So where I hear you're saying that in your, in your, from your perspective, it's not that it, it wasn't the act. It was the way it, it was the way he chose to articulate the act where there are some people that are saying it doesn't matter what he said. The moment he said that he was standing up for uh, quote unquote oppressed black people. And I'm going to read his statement, but the moment he said he's standing up for that, you were going to get that backlash because America. And what I mean by that is because of the way America is and because America still does not value um, black lives. And, and that's pretty so much, that's you why, know. That's, right. That's why we're here today, because there's ignorance on both sides of the fence. And we're here to try to mute both of those out and bring them to a better understanding that, no, if we seek to be understood and seek to understand first, we can get there. But your point is very well taken. There are people that are just going to take the attitude of, doesn't matter how I say it, no one's listening. Well, if that's the attitude you have, then no one's ever going to listen. Yeah. And I and I'm kind of stalling along because I'm I'm before getting to the letter because some thoughts are coming up because that just brings to a point one of the things that I'm always thinking to myself that I've never thought out loud or shared with anyone just yet. Um, but it's like it's something that is like an overwhelming overwhelming burden um for African Americans and for me as an African American where while we know that there are plenty of uh, Americans of European descent who are empathetic and understand, you know, uh, who, who try to uh, empathize with the position of being uh, a minority in this country, not only being a minority, but in a minority that has been systematically uh, oppressed for ever uh, in, in terms of our existence in this country. Um, but, and and, but trying to process the fact that there's going to be a segment of this country that no matter what, they want us to stay oppressed. They want us to, they're always going to view us as African-Americans as less than and not equal to. And it's almost to the point where I feel like we're spinning our wills in a sense, or me personally, even me, like spinning my wills, um, you know, trying to speak to those people and try to get them to understand. And it's like, how many, you know, what percentage of European Americans will we need to empathize and, and, and understand and advocate, um, for us to feel comfortable in this country. That's just something I always think about to myself. I just kind of wanted to float that out there. Uh, and I don't know if there's ever going to be an answer. And I don't know if there's ever, if that's even realistic. And, you know, that's why, you know, a lot of people will say that it's more important to focus on policy because you're not going to change the hearts and minds of everyone. I, dis- so- I, I disagree because you're living proof of it and I'm an example of it. And let's just be honest. Can we both agree I'm no bleeding heart? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, these folks that are hearing me on this uh, radio podcast are getting, you've known me for years. It's safe to say I'm no bleeding heart liberal, you know, uh, apologist. I mean, I'm as hard ass as it gets, but I also have an open mind. And you and I have had enough dialogue that you have opened up my mind, raised my awareness to the point where I'm an advocate. I may not sound like it when I'm in the dialogue or the debate 
with folks that still have not yet become awakened and aware. So they're combative with me. But when I'm speaking mainstream, when I'm talking to folks that are not even a part of Race Haven, it's a, it's a different conversation. And it's specifically because of you, you and the dialogue that you've chosen to create your ability to go out there and articulate effectively with me has made a difference. So you've taken a hard ass that literally didn't know. I was completely unaware. And I'm now an advocate. So to answer your question, it's not so much how many people do you have to. It's, it's when you get to the right people, Scott. When you get to people of influence who then have that, that awareness. It's not even a change of heart because it's not like I was this racist bigot that you've woken me up. I just was unaware. And right. there's enough of us out there unaware that once we are able to, it's not even empathize, it's just truly understand, it's to truly see things from your perspective and understand things from that perspective. That It's very easy. It's not like this was a, a long journey for me because it just was real. But there's too many folks out there that just like you said, ah, it doesn't matter, do it. Well, when you remain ignorant, you receive ignorance. When you choose, see, you don't remain ignorant. You choose to be respectful, you're thoughtful, and you're very effective with your communication. And it speaks to the return you get. But it's almost like a double-edged sword. If the masses want that respect, they've got to then first say, okay, we're not going to be ignorant. We're not going to go out there and give the masses the ability to just discount us. And that's where my point with, with Colin Kaepernick's uh, words and actions are, it's like, dude, you have a platform. You're a professional athlete. You have a higher responsibility that when you open your mouth, think about the audience. Don't give the audience the free shot to say spoiled brat. And that's where I'm going to shut up and let you take over. But that's the whole point is don't say things that allow somebody to dismiss you, right or wrong. Once they dismiss you, your message is gone. Your message is lost and it's no longer effective. I, pre- I appreciate you saying those things uh, because that's what keeps me going. Not only, you know, when you share things like that, but I get a bunch of inbox messages, um, you know, from uh, participants in Race Haven or individuals who've listened to this, to this podcast that have shared similar things to what you've shared and say, you know what, Scott, thank you for this platform. I'm learning. And people who, like, like you said, they're just open-minded. And it's not that, you know, it's like what you said, you're, you always say you're neutral. Um, and unaware. And that's what a lot of people, I think the majority of European Americans kind of fall in that space where you have a, a small percentage of European Americans who are just flat out cold, stone cold, racist. I don't like African American people. I don't like immigrants. I don't like Jews. I don't like it. Like just flat out racist and, and, they, and they own it. Yeah. And we'll never, that. we'll never change them. Then you have your people who are uh, very aware and very empathetic, um, you know, and the people who you've seen throughout history those people who were abolitionists, those people who were, you know, on the front lines during walking over the bridge with Dr. Martin Luther King and all the other civil rights activists, those people who were the freedom riders in the 19, late 50s, early 60s, uh, you know, which I don't think people realize the freedom riders came before Dr. King even started. And there were a lot of European Americans who took those freedom rides. You know, when I go to the Center of Human Rights and, and Civil Justice here in Atlanta, 
and I may not have said that correctly, but people know what I mean by that. There's a, a civil justice museum here in Atlanta, and they have, a, they have pictures of all the Freedom Riders who went to jail. And when I looked at that wall, it was diverse, and that warms my heart so much how diverse that wall was of all the European-Americans and African-American civil rights activists that were fighting for civil rights in the 50s and 60s in this country. And so many times, that's what informs my practice. That's what keeps me going. That's what gives me faith and hope. And I have conversations with some African-Americans who feel like, you know, they are very jaded. And their trust for European-Americans is very, you know, limited. And I understand why, because they're, you know, it's based on their interactions and based on their perspective. And I respect that and I get it. But I always am a beacon of, of, of hope and reason in the sense that I know that from, you know, again, those two different sides where you have your civil rights European-Americans and you have your racist European-Americans, the majority of European-Americans fall into a category of being neutral is what I call you, John. You literally grew up in the, in the European-dominant uh, culture, and it was just normal. It was just – that's just norms. So therefore, your perceptions are going to be based on those cultural American norms. And Correct. so that's why I'm very empathetic to if you say something that somebody may take the wrong way, I'm like, well, give them a chance, <laughs> you know, give them a chance, explain it to them. And, and when I say you, I'm using you as an example for that neutral, that neutral pool sure. of European Americans. When I say give no, them a, a chance to explain and, and explain to them why what they said may have uh, been out of context or, or out of context or lack context and give them some context so that they can be informed instead of just walking away, shaking your head, saying, hey, there's just another, another racist, where it could have been an opportunity for you to build a relationship and an opportunity for you to inform someone. And it's a heavy burden. And, and the thing is, I have some of my European-American friends inboxing me on Facebook because a lot of people just aren't comfortable having these conversations in a public forum. So they'll inbox me and they'll say, Scott, I don't know how you have the patience to deal with some of these people because a lot of the blatant people who, you know, I'll just say this history will probably call them racist. Um, a lot of people who blatantly show no um, attempts to want to empathize, they'll comment on some of my things on Facebook. And these are people who I know. I don't, they, they're not necessarily friends. They're Facebook friends. They, they may be people I've done business with or I've done some work with in the past that we, we know each other um, that are of European uh, descent that may be very, um, I guess, uh, on the other extreme in terms of lacking empathy and not even trying to have any empathy. So I have I'll some of my other Europeans. Go ahead. I'll say for okay, you. we'll use Poi, ignorance. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure. Poi. You are. They're ignorant. And ignorance comes in white and black. Ignorance comes in all different Absolutely. flavors. But ignorance is still ignorance. Right. That's that's a good word for it. I just I just struggle with calling people flat out racist. So we'll just say ignorance. And uh, I guess we can have that conversation another time about why I don't like to label someone that. So with that being said, um, again, that's kind of, um, you know, where I stand and that's kind of my temperament in this whole deal. And um, but, you know, I'm, again, I'm glad that you said those things, John. So, you know, moving forward a little bit, um, let's go ahead and get into this letter and why you supported it. So I want to read this letter for our listeners to hear. Uh, it's a brief letter, and it was written in the Independent Journal Review, and I'll put a note, a link in the, uh, in the show notes. But let's see here. It says, um, uh, let's see, get to it. 
All right, I'm just going to jump right into it. It says, after the interview I had with Iraq war veterans surrounding, um, surrounding the Kaepernick controversy went viral yesterday, I felt like sharing my thoughts about the issue. And let me actually, let me give you the name. His name is Justin Charters. Uh, this is the, the author of this letter and this article. He said, I didn't expect it to be anything more than a Facebook status that got a few likes. However, it's turned out to be much more. Less than a day after writing the letter, excuse me, it's already been shared over 1,000 times. That's pretty substantial considering it's only been posted to my individual writer's page. I see the reaction as a testament to how strongly Americans feel about Kaepernick's actions. It reads, Dear Colin Kaepernick, you talk about oppression in America, but you are privileged. You were lucky enough to be adopted as a baby and pulled out of your broken home, pulled out of your broken home by parents who might not share your ethnic background, but did everything they could to make you successful. And just as a side note for our listeners, his parents are, uh, his adopted parents are European American. And Colin Kaepernick, I believe, is of, of mixed ethnic race, uh, African American and European American. Going back to the letter. And because of your hard work and dedication, you are living a life that millions only dream of. Good for you. If we are measuring privilege by your income, however, with the $22 million net worth, you are far more fortunate than the majority of people not just in America, but in the world. As an NFL player, you have the opportunity to turn on a mic and influence millions of people for good. But after the preseason game on Friday night, you used your platform to promote an anti-American theme as a player of one of the most American sports of all time. Then you decided to throw gasoline on the fire by implying that cops get away with murder and that they're getting paid to do it. I don't know about anyone, I don't know about everyone else, but I would love to see you trade in your jersey and pigskin for a gun and a badge. I'd love to see you go patrol the inner city in Baltimore or Chicago at night and then tell me cops are part of the problem. I'd love to see you jump in front of an incoming bullet to save a life because it's part of your job. Another su suggestion, go knock on the doors of the widows who lost their husbands in the police assassinations in Dallas and Baton Rouge. Tell them cops get away with murder. With your comments after Friday night's game, you've proven one thing. You're more interested in being a victim than offering any solutions to the challenges we face in America. If you just would have left it at, I choose not to stand for personal reasons, we wouldn't even be talking about it right now. People will respectfully disagree with your decision, but recognize your right to have it. We still recognize your right. But the fact that you decide to insult the country that has given you everything and then took a shot at law enforcement while that exercise, while exercising that right is the problem. And, and by saying what you said, you left an impression on your fans. Most importantly, your young fans. You gave them a reason to take their black America for granted. You gave them a reason to buy into the false narrative that they have a less, they have less of a chance, I'm sorry, they have less of a chance to make a difference in the world because of their skin color. In 2016, it's 2016, and you're acting like Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech still isn't a reality, yet you're undeniable evidence that it is. Your success, your success story is the American dream. You should be proud of it. Yeah, you have a right to sit out the national anthem, but if you consider all the things that led you to where you are today, when it's time for the anthem, you should be standing there in silence with deep appreciation for the beautiful and fulfilling life America has given you. 
the end. So that was the letter. And just for context, I want to give you guys, I also want to give you uh, what Colin Kaepernick said that the letter is referencing. So what Colin Kaepernick said after he was interviewed by reporters after the game was this. I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder, end quote. So that's a lot to unpack, a lot to unpack. And I want to first start out by saying before I let John jump in to share why he sent me the message saying I support this message. I want to share, I just want to say that for me, all I see here, again, is a huge misunderstanding, a huge misunderstanding. And I'd like to get into it, and that's what we're going to do. So before, before we do that, uh, I'm sorry, as to, in order to do that, um, John, I'll let you start out by highlighting or speaking to anything directly um, or if you just want to kind of give your overall sentiments and then maybe I'll pull some, some, uh, some paragraphs from here that I'd like us to highlight. But um, go ahead and, and share why you, you felt the need to send this letter to me and let me know that you support this letter. Well, I'll be honest with you. The whole purpose in sending it to you was the Colin Kaepernick situation to me is only going to further the problems that we're trying to identify and solve. It, to me, is very similar to the Black Lives Matter message that, again, intent, beautiful. I became aware of it in the conversations with you and with Montoya. But the Black Lives Matter message got distorted because they weren't careful with, A, I'll still simply say, even though people want to argue with me, if they had done a better job of explaining that they meant Black Lives Matter too, and we all need to be important. Instead of it coming across the way it was received as only Black Lives Matter. So my point in sending that letter to you was Colin Kaepernick didn't land the plane. It crashed and burned horribly. Whatever his intent was, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's a good guy, that he had great intentions. He didn't land the plane. And so I sent the letter to you to say for everything that you were feeling when you were like, I support it, I wanted you to understand you don't have the ability as Scott Speed, creator of Race Haven, to blanket support that because we have a greater responsibility, you and I, if we're going to take this role on. So my reason for sending it was to have this dialogue and be able to maybe dissect the letter, maybe talk a little bit about uh, Colin's words, but more importantly, get people to understand we have got to stop words and actions that further divide the masses. That was my whole point. You 100% have the right to agree with them, but we, you and I, have the responsibility to alter the way that message is received or else we're not serving our greater good. Does that make any sense? Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm processing as you're saying that I'm processing your statement that as the leader 
or founder of, or creator is a better word, creator of race, the race saving platform that I should not blanket support uh, Colin Kaepernick's stance. So what I'm trying to do is understand exactly what you mean by that. And I'm trying to process that. So why do you think okay. that I shouldn't blanket support um, um, it, his stance that I just support it? Because it lowers you. you. You resonate at a much higher vibration than that. His comments are coming from an unaware, emotional place. doesn't make him wrong. It just doesn't further the cause of, of what he's speaking to. He would like to see an end to police brutality of unarmed and innocent African Americans. Is that a fair assumption on my part? That is fair. Okay. His message didn't further that cause. It just pissed off people who say, you know what, you're a spoiled athlete, you're ungrateful, you were actually one of the the success stories in America. You were raised by white parents that brought you in and gave you every opportunity you could have, and you've made it to the highest possible ranks in professional sports, and now you spit on the country. It's it's the message is not coming out the way he intended. I'm, I'm spitballing with what I'm saying, because that's what the angry Americans are hearing. That's why they're burning his jerseys. That's why they're saying, screw him. And the idea is, that wasn't his intent. His intent was not to become vilified. It was to raise awareness for a message that deserves to be heard. That it's a situation, it's an atrocity that deserves to be completely eradicated. But his message didn't do that. His message just gave other people See, I say ignorance on the side of white and black. Ignorance is ignorance. And so because of his method and his delivery, it just basically gave people uh, a blank check to say, you know what, you're this, this, this. And they don't even listen to his message because his message didn't matter anymore. They perceived him as being a spoiled, ungrateful, arrogant punk. So one of my, one of my good friends... One of, one of my good friends uh, who's African-American said to me, and, and it's a question I have for you. He said, why does it, he said, how come my, my European American friends, you know, I don't have to explain all that. They get it. Like I have, I have European American friends who get it. <clears throat> you know, how come, how come they get it? And the ones who are burning his Jersey, the ones who are saying things like what you just said, everything that you just said is what's being said. And I know that's why you said it that way in terms of, he was raised by European American parents who, you know, in a privileged position, and now he's a privileged football player, and and he's the one who's standing up and acting entitled like a spoiled brat or whatever the, these things that are being said. The people who are saying that, arguably, they're not going to hear the message anyway. Like it's like I nothing, just, that's no, nothing that he, nothing that he would, uh, he could say, would get them to hear the message. That's what some people are, are going to are going to argue or going to say. And what I, what I would say is, I mean, yes, we established already there is a, a portion of American who feels that way, but um, it's, it's interesting because even, even what, okay, you said, okay, let me, I want to go because you said that uh, I have to be a bum. And let me, let me just provide this context for our listeners. I don't say the national anthem when I go to sporting events and for a long time, long before this happened, I've grappled with remaining seated. And every time I stand up, it's like, 
I push myself to at least stand up, but I don't put my heart over my, my hand over my heart and I don't sing the song. I don't say the Pledge of Allegiance. When I was a teacher and I, and at every day at the beginning of every, every school day, every kid had to stand up and pledge allegiance like I had to do when I was in elementary school. As a teacher, I didn't do it. And I always hoped my students wouldn't ask me because at that point I didn't want to, you know, speak on it, but I didn't do it. So I've, for the last, since I probably was in high school, I've never sang the national anthem and I've, I've never, you know, said the pledge of, I've stopped saying the pledge of allegiance ever since I became aware. I just want to tell, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. That's the beauty of it. You're saying the same thing, but you do it in a more respectful and effective way. You are able to articulate a message, and you're simply saying, I don't stand either. I don't say the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't, I don't put my hand over my heart. But yet, I'm not offended by you because the way you communicate and the way you are effectively speaking what's in your heart does not offend. That's my whole point. It's the same action. But one has, and that's the argument to all the people saying it doesn't matter, doesn't, yeah, it does matter. It does. Don't be as ignorant as the people that are responding ignorantly to, to Colin Kaepernick. It's ignorance is ignorance. And that's my whole point. You have the ability. You have done it. You've been able so, to cross that bridge. So I want to just, just for the listeners so they know, I just want to tell them why. I think it's important that they hear why. Absolutely. Uh, I don't. I don't. I just want the listeners to know that when I started to become aware of our country's history and I started learning um, not only about our country's history, but also about the present. And I started witnessing with my own eyes, the mistreatment, uh, the surveillance, you know, the occupation of law enforcement within African-American communities versus how they interact in non-African-American communities and all the various things that have been an issue in our country, the justice um, the, the, I'm sorry, the lack of justice that African-Americans have, uh, generally speaking, have not received in this country uh, throughout history. Uh, it, it just is something that is really, really hard for me to be proud of. You know, just looking at the various uh, historical court cases where, you know, an African-American person just, you know, would be judged by a jury of, of European-American peers and um, of their European so-called peers, and they had literally no chance of getting justice. Uh, if something was done to them, the European American defendant would always get off just because like if it was the case, for example, it would be police officers, police officers or, you know, KKK members in the community would be able to have free reign over, you know, j- bringing about justice the way, they, the way they saw fit, whether it be a lynching, whether it be a beating, whether it be burning down churches, whether like people even at, when my parents were alive, European Americans had free reign to do anything they wanted to do to African-American people and totally get away with it. And this was after my grandfather served in World War II. He came home. When people say, oh, we we stand for, you know, in honor of those who fought for our freedom. Well, my grandfather, quote, unquote, fought for our freedom, even though I even question that sentiment, because I don't recall anyone trying to take over and enslave Americans since the darn Revolutionary War. And you may say, okay, World War II, Japan came over and attacked, so let's go there. So my grandfather fought, but when he came home to Florida in the South, he didn't have the same rights as the men that he fought with. 
So when, when people want to be proud and say, you know, it represents those who fought for our freedom, well, my grandfather did, but he wasn't considered a human when he got home. So it's like, how can you expect? That's the difference. That's the thing that a lot of quote unquote neutral and even the ignorant European Americans, they fail to understand that their version of freedom is not the same as our version of freedom. So as a teenager, as I grapple with these things, and as a young adult, as I grapple with these things, I have a huge issue standing and putting my hand over my heart and saying, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel real, because what it really means, especially because I know when it was actually written, what it really meant was one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for Americans of European descent. That's what it meant when it was written, and that's what it's always meant in this country. And no one has taken the steps to make anything since then that is inclusive of Americans of African descent, which I am. So therefore, I will not pledge allegiance to any flag of this country. I will not uh, say the Pledge of Allegiance or the, sing the, the national anthem. And there's even some history, history with that. For those of you, look up the third verse of the national anthem. It speaks to the slaves who ran away to fight with the British because they were told that they would be given their freedom in Canada if they fought for the British in the War of 1812. So the person who wrote the national anthem wrote a verse, the third verse, who spoke against those slaves and basically cheered their death because they were trying to get free from tyranny in the U.S. So there are scars, as we said, you've heard other you know, podcasts if you've listened for a long time. The problem as I, Scott, perceive it, and the reason why we're going to continue, the reason why we continue to have these type of tensions uh, around race relations is because as an African-American, we view the same things that the majority of Americans view with pride. We view them as scars. But yet there's been no collective uh, effort to understand and bring those two sides together so we can come to some type of, uh, you know, collective understanding of each other. Does that make sense, John? It, it does, and again, you're, I thank you because you're validating my point. What you just shared was heartfelt, emotional, and it captures my attention. It gets my attention. It gets me to empathize and say that's bold. That shouldn't happen. So here's my point, and this is all I want to bring to your attention. Colin Kaepernick pisses me off and pushes me away. Agree? That behavior, that method of delivery, and when I say me, meaning the masses, the masses of European Americans are going to look at that and say, ungrateful, spoiled, doesn't get it, and shut down. Fair, fair assumption of the way his message is received? Fair assumption. What you just did. I have a question about it, but that's a fair assessment. But when you're done, I'll, um, I'll ask the question about that statement. But go ahead. Sure. But your message doesn't have that effect. Your message is holy crap, I had no idea. Holy crap, that's not right. Holy crap, that trap's got to be fixed. My point is, you're saying the same thing. You're talking about, hey, this is broken. Someone needs to pay attention. Y'all think this is all perfect, and it's not. And my whole point is, the choice of delivery, 
determines whether or not anyone's going to listen. And if no one's listening, it's never going to improve. And if the attitude of the African-American community is it doesn't matter, no one's going to listen, then guess what? You manifest that. You brought in exactly what you wanted. You didn't care about how you delivered the message, so no one does care, and it stays the way it is. Or you say, damn it, it's a lot more work, but we're going to do this as many times as we have to because each time we try, we gain a little bit more exposure and a little bit more support, and eventually you tip the scale. And that's my whole point. If you're pushing everybody away and worse, taking the stance that it doesn't matter how we say it, then get used to it. Nothing's going to change. But if you want change, if you want to affect change, then just like I've had to do in my career, find another way to deliver the message and then find another way and then find another way. And eventually each time you get a little bit more effective and you gain a little bit more support and all of a sudden the majority is behind you, not against you. And that's how it happens. And you, when I say you have a greater responsibility, I'm not saying you don't have the same right. I'm saying you are a better I don't even want to say educator because you're not educating anybody. You are a better spokesperson or ambassador for the message than Colin Kaepernick. That's all I'm saying. You have been given an ability. You have worked hard at a skill set, and you have the chance to go make that difference. And that's all I'm saying is when, when a lesser qualified person makes a statement that's going to be received and create chaos, and you blanket, accept it, you lower your ability to their level. And that's all I'm saying is you're way better than that and you're way more effective than that. And that's why I sent the letter saying, hey, we need to talk about this because people will now go, ah, Scott supports Colin and Colin's an ass, and that's the end of it. Okay. So, man, it's a couple things. One, um, I'll start here. So the question I wanted to ask was, Here's what I don't understand. So when African-Americans uh, in cities like Ferguson, for example, get fed up and there's a culminating event like there was with the Mike Brown situation, and then there's this riot, a, 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 a large mass of European-Americans will say, that's not the way to handle it. Violence, rioting, looting, burning things is not the way to handle it, to get attention. However, they've they've been in the community and I actually have the, the Ferguson department of justice report. Uh, and I have some clips from it that I'm going to share in a moment, but these people have been living up under anarchy, literally like literally being abused for decades. They've been being abused by the Ferguson, the police department. And it's been proven through the de- department of justice report. Um, it's just, uh, it's amazing. So it culminates in what everyone sees on TV, which is this, you know, these riots, and they think, oh, these people are rioting just because of this. But no, they're rioting because of literally decades upon decades of oppression. And it just bubbled over, and people say, well, that's not the way to handle it. Well, guess what? No one paid attention to them at all until they did that. But we agree. That's not the way. To, I'll tell you, I don't think that's the way to handle it either. So then people will protest and walk down streets and block traffic. Oh, that's not the way to handle it. You're inconveniencing people who are trying to get to work, and you're doing da 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 that's not the way to handle it. So now Colin Kaepernick does the most peaceful, non-intrusive. He's not, he's not burning buildings. He's not beating people up. He's not breaking things, and he's not disturbing traffic patterns. The man sits down as a peaceful show 
of protest. And there's a segment of Americans, European Americans primarily, a segment of European Americans primarily, who say that's not the way to do it. So my question is, what is the way to do it when you're trying to get the attention of the masses who don't have to pay attention because the problems don't affect them? So the reason why is, is I it support it, or are you asking me? I'm, I'm asking you, and, and that's the reason why I support it, because if it did nothing else, it got the, it got the attention of the masses and everyone's talking about it. So, but, but beside that, I don't understand how we can get people's attention to do anything. So go ahead. Is sitting down, no issue. I agree with you. It's a peaceful protest. It's a message and it gained attention. But if you're sincerely asking me what he should have done next, he has two options. Educate himself or have someone standing next to him with the microphone because he is not prepared for that. I will tell you, at 48 years old, I have been unprepared to have too many conversations and at least was wise enough after getting my teeth kicked in a few times to keep my mouth shut. So I learned if I don't know, I don't speak. I will find an expert who can either educate me to speak for myself or I will introduce them and allow them to speak for me. That is how you do it when you are uneducated and unprepared. And that's all I'm saying is he is an individual that we're just going to use the term with great power comes great responsibility. And like it or not, an athlete, you know, we used to joke about Charles Barkley saying, I'm no role model. Yeah, you are, Charles. When you sign that check and you put that uniform on and you chose the career in front of the camera, you are a role model. Like it or not, tough crap. If you don't like it, go be a plumber. And so Colin Kaepernick, by accepting that job as a professional football player and accepting that check, unfortunately, comes with great responsibility that whatever you do and whatever you say is going to be magnified. And so all I'm saying is, is it better than a riot? Hell yes. Why are the riots wrong? I want to be real clear about this because this is something I'm going to post after the show. I was ridiculously pissed off after seeing the videos shot by the rioters in Wisconsin, specifically targeting innocent white people driving in cars. That's why the riot in Ferguson or anywhere else is wrong, because if you're rioting against a police brutality that you know is real, go for it. I I have no problem. That's almost like self-defense to me. But then when idiots in other cities decide, hey, let's just go target white people, pull them out of their cars and beat them senseless, well, where, where, how does that correlate? And it's the equivalent to someone saying all cops or all black people or all whatever. We can't live in that world. And so his peaceful protest is a heck of a lot better than the riots. But his peaceful protest followed by the statements that he made, and that's where my problem is with him, that he made some statements, again, that were blanket generalizations that just further the divide instead of trying to find common ground, solve problems, and heal issues. We're either trying to solve and heal something or we're trying to make it worse. And believe me, I've spent plenty of my life 
at war battling and making things worse because I didn't care. I used to have the, med- the mindset and the attitude of, I don't care. Collateral damage, we'll deal with it later. But you know what? That's not a healthy way to do anything, and it doesn't solve problems. So my point in answering your question is that he could have brought someone like you to either prepare him and educate him or let you speak for him so that it doesn't have that fallout. So let me do this. And I, and I hear everything you said. Oh, and let me, and just, I don't want to brush this off. I agree. So just like we speak about ignorant people that are European American, the people who the African American kids who were on those videos, punching European American uh, people who were driving by, are very, very ignorant, and it burns me up when I see stuff like that. It really bothers me you know when I we see stuff see like that. We didn't see anything in Race Haven on that. We didn't see anything in Race Haven, so I'm going to post it and start that dialogue later today. Sure, sure, by all means, and that's why it's important for different people from different perspectives to share different things, um, you know, and, and you can you can address it um, the way you see fit. And then, and I'll definitely chime in based on the way you, you post it I'll answer and, and accordingly and share whatever. So sure. with that being, with that being said, um, you know, just to, to speak to some of what I perceive in this letter that I don't understand and what bothers me when I'm seeing out there from, you know, uh, European Americans who are posting about this. I saw people posting pictures of Colin Kaepernick with his European American family and saying, you are not oppressed. But the problem with that for me is that he didn't say he was oppressed. He said he's speaking for people who can't speak for themselves. His statements are, were clear. So what bothered me is like, why would people pull that one, you know, they, people choose one thing that, and it's for me, it's like, you just obviously want to be in opposition to the things he said. You're not even trying Correct. to understand what this guy is saying or what he's trying to perceive. So now you have this whole you know, I go, I go into these threads where European-American people are just dumping on him based on someone posting a meme saying, um, you know, Colin Kaepernick says he's oppressed, but a picture, you know, but here's a picture of him with his, you know, quote unquote, white family, um, you know, and he makes 12, many, 12 million a year. So now you have all these thousands of European-American people chiming in on that, laughing at that, commenting on that. And it's like, that is not the point. And that's the type right, of stuff that wrong rabbit hole. Had nothing to do with his message. Yeah, that's the wrong rabbit hole. Had nothing to do with his message, and that and that burns me up. And that even in this letter, the guy is talking about him being privileged. Colin Kaepernick is using his platform because he knew his platform would do exactly what he has done. So this whole the whole first part of this, when he's talking about him making millions of dollars, that really you know again, it's a rabbit hole that doesn't apply. And then when he said that. Um, you know, you decide to throw gasoline on the fire by implying that cops get away with murder and that they're getting paid to do it. Let me just speak to, the, to some, add some context to that. So unfortunately, as Americans and as people in general, we, we speak in generalizations. Most people tend to speak in generalizations, okay, because it's, I guess, a shorter, easier form of speaking. And there's a lot of stuff that's implied. So when Colin Kaepernick says there's bodies in the streets and people are getting paid, leaving, getting away with it, getting away with murder, I can point to Tamir Rice. I can point to Walter Scott. I can point to um, Philando Castile. There's a, there's a bunch of, and those are the only ones we saw on video. There's so many cases where European-American cops have unjustly and, and, and without the proper procedural tactics and procedural professionalism have taken the lives of African-American people. I don't have all the names, but the guy in the Walmart who was literally testing out a BB gun in Walmart was shot and killed 
I mean, I mean, it is so many stories like that. I mean, so many. One guy was in a car accident and he went and knocked on someone's door to ask for help. He was shot and killed. Another young lady called the police to her house because she's afraid of something. I mean, like in the African-American community, these stories get passed around on our Facebook threads. I don't even share them all because it's depressing and I can't read them all. I don't read every story because I can't emotionally handle everyone. But I know, I mean, literally we have dozens and dozens of names that we can name to rattle off next to the, you know, the, the um, you know, in the ones I just named, for example. We can leave Mike Brown out because I know his situation is very sketchy in terms of him being the aggressor. But what about the 12-year-old kid named Tamir Rice that was in the playground playing with a BB gun? A cop rolled in less than 1.2 seconds, murdered the kid. There was no freeze, hands up, put the gun down. Is that cop in jail right now? No. He was given paid leave. That's what he's talking about, John. And that's one story that literally can be transferred to several others. That's the stuff that makes it hard for me and people like, I'm assuming, Colin Kaepernick to be peaceful and say that I, I feel comfortable. And for him, I can imagine the burden being even more that he has millions of dollars and he has all the privilege. And it's like there's bodies in the street, but I'm going to sit here and act like nothing's happening. So my question to you is when he says I'm not going to because this is what he said. I'm not going to stand up and show pride in the flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. That's a true statement, if you ask me. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. So aside from him not drilling down and giving specific examples, what problem do you have with those statements? Because the overall sentiment is that's an anti-cop message. That's an anti-cop statement. I'm not saying he intended it that way. And again, you and I have to remove ourselves from the level of awareness and education. When it comes to the masses, there are people that are going to be pissed off at me simply because you posted John supports this letter. And if they don't listen to this radio show, they will make a, an assumption about me and move forward. And all I'm saying is it's guilt by association. Here's the problem. This is where the root problem for me lies. And I kind of alluded to it a few minutes ago. If the African-American community, sincerely, as a community, wants this to change, there are some things that have to be identified and addressed. Now, this is an issue. We maybe take this up on another call. When, When someone like me says, Black Lives Matters is real, then all black lives have to matter. Not just, I get the whole police brutality, unarmed African Americans, but there can't be a complete ignorance to or glossing over of black-on-black crime. I understand it's not the message, so we don't need to dialogue that, but what I'm saying is to the European American community, to the masses, it does not resonate. It does not seem consistent that these are the only black lives we're going to protest. And then to make it worse, the African community needs to be just as pissed off and upset at the Wisconsin riots pulling innocent white people out as you are about an innocent African-American being shot. If you don't have that same level of outrage, you can't expect European-Americans to then say, see, I do. I have that same level of outrage about an unarmed African-American man being shot by a cop as a white person being pulled out of a car 
by an angry riot. I have that capacity, but the masses don't. And the point I'm trying to make is it can't be, well, you know, we've put up with it for so long. No, there has to be that same level of outrage. We all have to – it's got to come down to I care about you as much as you care about me or nothing changes. And that doesn't exist right now. And maybe it doesn't exist because for so long, as you have very, very effectively pointed out, the scales have been tipped very unfairly towards the African-American community. And I'm not disputing that. I'm simply saying in order for them to balance out, the answer is not rioting like they did in Wisconsin, but even if you weren't in the Wisconsin riots, if you're African-American and you're not posting this is despicable, this shit shouldn't happen, well, then it's, it's quiet, like almost passive acceptance of it. And that's what's wrong with our country. There are too many people that are apathetic. They don't speak up. They don't care. They don't have a voice until dot, 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 something happens. Well, we need to live in a world where it doesn't take something to happen for us to care. That's where so, I'm coming from. That's why, for me, that message is, is taken one way. But for the masses, that message is, dude, you can't blame all cops because there's a whole other uh, – it's not just that one letter. There's a whole bunch of letters from prominent African Americans that are not supporting uh, Colin Kaepernick. And it's, again, not because they're, they're uneducated. They're just not aware. They're not seeing things the way you and I are talking about right now because I'm not even using uh, – Alan West's article, and, and no one's going to dispute that he's not very intelligent, very articulate, um, and, and has the same right to speak as peace, but I don't think I need to bring that up right now because we're doing a good job of having this dialogue. Okay, so here's the thing, especially about, and I, and I, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I can see how someone in your position, as well as the people that share your ideals and your perspectives based on your lived experiences, would say that, well, I don't understand why African-Americans, I'm just going to use this one example, aren't as pissed about these innocent European-American uh, pastors by getting punched in the face by these African-American teenagers uh, as they are when the police are doing these killings, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to tell you exactly why right now. And this is what you're going to get in Race Haven uh, as well, because the, the reality is this. The reality is there's a power dynamic that you you are not acknowledging or you're failing to see right now that's the issue and the way that i see it and the way that every aware person articulate person of african-american descent or even europe because there's a lot of european americans who are going to say the exact same thing they're not going to equate they're going to be upset that you would even equate if you if you equated it now if you posted it with something else that's fine but if you posted and equated it to police murdering uh people they're going to flip their lids and the reason why is because police officers are state-sanctioned employees that have law, they have the power of the law behind them, and they also have historically, since the inception of this country, they have historically taken out these aggressions against the African-American community. So and when I say historically, I mean literally, historically, the darn overseers from the slave plantations became the officers. Overseer became officer. And they gave... I, I understand that. You understand the history of it. So they, yeah. their whole role throughout history has been to keep African-American people in their place. And their place has been a place of lower standing and a place of oppression. So 
we've literally, as African-American people, have been getting beat over the head, murdered, railroaded, put in jail, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for centuries in this country by European-Americans. So when you hear African-Americans rallying, act, being an activist and speaking up, and even in Race Haven, when we speak up, we're fighting against a system, John. We're fighting I, listen, against – we're I, not I, fighting I'm against – I'm on board with everything that you're saying. I'm not disputing right. it. I'm on board with it. Okay. So, but I want you to understand, especially the listeners. I need the listeners to understand this because a lot of listeners have that sentiment. I hear people say these things, like no, no, especially even in comparison. Okay, what's the one point? The point I'm trying to make is the issue we're dealing with today in 2016 is unlawful racial profiling, unlawful mistreatment. Uh, we've talked about this okay. on previous shows. You know, why do African-American males get assumed to be violent, right? We've talked about this. My point is that damn video is the problem. Those videos, if you don't want a community of young African-American males to be assumed violent on site because they've got a hoodie up, then when those videos are out there and no one seems to care, that's why. Like there needs, I'm not saying anyone should be assumed that way. I'm saying that's just how life is. So the racial profiling, the assumption of fear, like that, I don't right now have a comfort. If I'm going to be driving in my car and four young African-American kids with hoods up, what do you think I'm going to think why, of, Scott? Why are they angry? Tell me, why are they angry, John? Why did, they punch kids? why did they punch those people in the first place? Okay, let's so go now deep. we're justifying let's go deep. that that anger no, no, should no. be taken out on anybody that you want to take it out on? No, that's not my point. I want you to answer the question because this is, 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 this is the genesis of the answer your question why people exactly. um, are not They're speaking angry. out. They're angry because of something happened either to them or someone else, and they're pissed off. And I get that. I get that. No, it's deeper than that. Okay, so let me, let me pick up because okay, you, you so cut me off in midstream and I let you go. All I'm saying is, no, that's all right. All I'm saying is it doesn't justify an innocent white person being beaten for something they didn't do. Okay, this so on a, on a macro level? divide works. No, but that's, that's – okay, let me say this, and, and I'm upset because I only – gave 90 minutes for this show. I didn't think we would need the whole two hours. So we have 20 minutes, but um, this is good. And we'll come back to this because while I can on a event based on an event based level, I can acknowledge with all of my heart that if I was there, I would have done everything in my power to stop that from happening and how that hurts me and how I can empathize with my friends and, you know, who are European American that would say, well, if I'm riding through an African American community, I don't know if those kids are upset. And they may want to do that to me. So, yes, I'm fearful. So on an event-based level and on a, um, you know, um, micro level, I get that. And that makes all the sense in the world. And I can see why that fear exists. But on a macro level, I ask the question, what can we do? And why, why does that even – why – what was the genesis? What's the genesis of those young African-American people – and let me finish before you answer – punching those sure. people in the face? The genesis of those young African-American people, again, an event-based thinker will say the genesis of them punching those people in the face was that someone in Milwaukee got shot uh, by a police officer, and the people of that community, was, a kid was murdered, and the people of that community felt like it was unjust, and they were rioting as a result. That's what event-based thinkers will say. 
But as a systems thinker and from a high macro level, you will have to understand that the resentment that those young people that drove those young people to want to punch random European Americans in the face, which is totally ignorant for them to, to express themselves this way. But you're talking about, uh, unfortunately, you know, you know, I'm not even going to say that. So I'm just going to say it was just ignorant. I'll leave it at that. It was ignorant. And but from the genesis of that, you're talking about people who were born into a world where they have literally seen their parents or family members or friends punched in the face by European-American authority or killed by European-American people who are supposed to be authority since the inception of history. Right, who are supposed to be protecting them from the inception of history, from the inception of time. They've grown into a world to learn that they are not valued in the same way that European-Americans are. So therefore, they walk around with this resentment, right? As an African-American, we walk around with this embedded and ingrained resentment because of this historical weight. It's not just a one incident weight. It's a literally a 400-year weight. But let me, I'm going to bring my point home. It's a 400-year okay. weight that we walk around with in this country. So unfortunately, if you are immature and if you lacked a level of maturity and intelligence and tact, and you take that action, there's no excuse for it. And I believe that everything in the current space of right now in 2016 that would need to happen to those young people to hold them accountable should happen. But here's what I'm saying. If we want to stop that from happening in the future, if we want to stop African-American people from getting shot by European-American cops or even African-American cops, let's just say cops in general, if we want to stop African-American people from being overly um, abused by the justice system in general, and if we want to stop innocent European-American people from getting attacked by young, ignorant black people or African-American people, we have to fix the system because these are what's called negative feedback loops based on a faulty system design. So the faulty system design is what causes this. So where I can empathize with you on one level, the reason why you say, well, why aren't people just as upset? Why aren't people, you know, raging on, on the race haven community about this? It's because I'm, I'm going to speak for me. I wouldn't personally post it on race haven for dialogue because that is such a, I don't know if people call it red herring. Like how often does that happen as a result of our systemic issues? Is the, does our systemic issues systematically get European American people punched in the face or do our systematic issues systematically get millions of African Americans over the last 30 years incarcerated for nonviolent crimes, families and communities broken down, systematically placed into poverty, systematically targeted for abusive policing procedures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> Literally for the last 400 years, there are examples of systemic issues that have killed and oppressed African-American people in this country. So the reason why you're not going to get that same level of response is because at Race Haven, the majority of people there are fighting for the dismantling of that system, which is a tsunami of a wave that has to be broken away. And it's like for us to focus time and energy on these, this one event that probably happens less than a percent of a percent of the time, it was, it's like it doesn't deserve our energy. And, I don't, and that, 
and I'm, I'm I preface but it. You're, you're seeing it from the wrong perspective when you make so, that statement. That's my point. Okay, so but I, I, I felt like I prefaced it and everything I had to say, it no, just no, no, gives no. you insight into the way that I that said, I, I agree see it. But go ahead. I want to hear and we have 14 minutes and we, we're going to do like a really quick closing because I want to get this in. But go ahead and, and tell no me problem. why I'm seeing that from the wrong perspective. Everything that you've said, I agree 100%. When you have the mindset of this is not happening enough, it's insignificant to put our focus on, my point is that's when you have the chance right there to make the statement. You said it about an hour ago. How many European Americans are we going to have to affect and wake up? You want to wake us up? That's how you do it. When that incident occurs and it's like no big deal, uh, the scales of balance are still way out of whack, this happens to black people more than white people, that's when the masses of unaware, remember, I'm talking about the unaware, Scott, that's when they go, ah, you know what, maybe the cops are right. Look, at the, look, look they're acting like that and white people that are innocent out of cars and beating them, that's when an unaware European-American like I used to be says when we hear about an African-American person being shot by a cop, good. Do you understand where I'm coming with this? Don't let that happen. Allow that ignorance from those little groups rioting color the, the, color the masses of the European-Americans who, when we hear African-Americans shot by cops, what are we thinking of? We're thinking of thugs pulling white people out of cars, and we're going, good. That's, That's an interesting point. point. That's, That's a very interesting point that you just said. Problem. I'm glad you said that. I am so glad you just but said that like that. Saying, Scott, that's why we need to do this, because that's how you affect me. When you affect me, you go, shit, John's got to get behind this with Scott, because this has to change. But when I am now neutral and I'm saying, hey, you know what? You want to pull white people out of a car? Cop shoots you. Good. Good. I'm glad Man, you let me, got let me shot. Just say, let me just say this real quick because African Americans need to hear what you just said. African Americans need to hear what you just said because that is so important. And that's the perception gap, and the com- perception gap and communication gap that I'm always speaking to. When right. the masses, when, when the mid masses. trying to say this. Yes. When the mid-masses, as I call them, the neutral masses of European-Americans see that an African-American young kid from the inner city was shot by the cops, that's who they're seeing. They're not seeing yes. Dr. Scott Speed. They're not seeing that. Or, and they're not seeing, you know, the, the athlete, for example, or the prominent actor or actress, or even the middle-class, average middle-class African-American who they see in the world. They're not seeing that person. They're seeing that the cops are getting rid of all the bad apple, what they call yes. thug, African-Americans who are pulling people out of cars, punch them in the face. They see it as them as being the ones who are the ones that are being shot down. So that's why their empathy doesn't rise up. And that is such a great point, man. I'm so glad you said that. That's something that we can build on for the next show because that's the level of context but and that's make, the level does, of nuance. Does it make sense now? why I was saying don't think of it, it's not a waste of time. It's the platform. It's the chance to say we don't support this either. But you know what? It's not that uh, what I was telling you was, here's the thing. What I was saying was you may get some people who will say that, and I gave you all the reasons why, but on the flip right. side, they, those people, on the flip side, the reason why I encourage you to post it anyway is because 
it needs that we need to hash it out so we can get to that statement you just made. And then someone like me can build on the statement you just made. And now African-American people are able to see and segment it that way, because it's all about the context and the nuance and, and the layers, the complexity that we're, un, we're peeling back the layers. And unfortunately, a lot of times we don't get there because most people, especially the neutral European-American people, aren't going to have the patience to get in the ring and fight the, the wave of our, you know, scars. Because it's heavy. No, because so, this position sucks. <laughs> I tell you does. that all the time. <laughs> but let me tell you this too. It also, but let me tell you what also, it sucks on your end. But you know what? On my end, it sucks because I have friends who say to me, well, it's not fair, Scott, that you got to do that. Like they, like someone said in the article, they took the same standardized test we took. They have access to the same books and the same articles. <clears throat> why do we have to, why do the oppressed have the burden of educating the masses? Like it's not fair that I have to expend all this energy doing this podcast and going on the show and posting stuff and being misunderstood amongst the masses, the majority of European Americans who may read stuff I write on Facebook, who don't listen to me talk, they may take it the wrong way, but it's like, why do I have to have the burden? So it's unfair both ways. And the other thing is unfair. My heart goes out to you. I know how much Mm -hmm. effort you put in and, and get disrespected for it. Yeah. And also, and there's less people. And the other thing that frustrates me, John, is that, there's less people when I try to get people that think like you to come in the race haven, they leave because they don't have to be there. Whereas people like me, I'm invested because my kids, my life and my kids and my grandkids lives are on the line for this stuff. But for a European American person, oftentimes they don't have to invest the same amount of energy and emotional, you know, energy in the being into being drained by this stuff because it, they can just go back into their, majority world Absolutely. and just close their eyes to it. So I always try to, whenever I get, you know, I've been successful with getting people like yourself to come onto the platform, but oftentimes they'll get frustrated and they leave just like African-Americans and minorities get frustrated and leave sometimes as well because it's such hard work. But as you know, we are not stopping it. And that's why I appreciate you so much because, you know, yeah, you get frustrated just like I get frustrated and you may need to take breaks sometimes, but you're willing to come back and you and I having these conversations help. So we're going to continue to do the work. And, you know, we're just doing our part. And, you know, I'll say this just to close out um, as well. We have eight minutes. We can get these last thoughts and comments in. The one re- I want you to know that the reason why I supported Colin Kaepernick as well, and I, and I stand by this, and, you know, we can definitely agree to disagree on this when you said that um, I should not because it, it kind of lowers me. Well, I want to say for the listeners that I hear you. I respect where you're coming from with that. But the reason why I continue to support the stance that Colin Kaepernick took is because I'm based on everything I've seen and based on everything that I've researched about activism. I feel like literally it's the only way to get people's attention is to do stuff like this. And I feel like if Colin Kaepernick didn't do this, we wouldn't be having this conversation. No, let me say this. No, you and I would be, because this is what we're doing, but the, the masses wouldn't be conversating it the way I see it being conversated about in the masses. And while there may be a large percentage of people who don't get it and who choose not to, and they want to remain willfully ignorant or even just unknowingly ignorant, I do know that there are African-Americans and European-Americans who are having conversations that are expanding both of their minds because this opened the door for that conversation. So for me, that's why I appreciate that he did it. And ultimately, I wish I, this morning I was driving, like, I wish like 100 players around the league would continue to do it because they'll continue to drive these conversations the same way that Dr. King and all those other uh, freedom riders had to inconvenience European majority by, you know, uh, sitting in front of buses and going to jail or getting their face beaten by the police. 
they did all those things to make a sacrifice to inconvenience the masses to be seen and to be heard, and it ultimately led to change. So if we can find a peaceful way to inconvenience the masses so that it can at least open the door for conversations like this, then hopefully some people will be impacted positively by it. So while I respect and understand why you think it's the wrong way, and I heard and I want you to know that I literally I hear you and I respect it and, you know, but I respectfully also disagree and that not only do I support him doing it, I hope literally I'm, I'm like wishing that a whole bunch of athletes do the same thing so that we can literally accelerate these conversations. And I'll let you close out with any of your, uh, you know, thoughts as well um, to that. And then both of us, uh, if you don't mind, I do want to give one solution. And you may have felt like you said it already, but if you want to add one thing about solutions in your final station that, uh, statement, that would be great. No, absolutely. And, and I'm going to say that I love the fact that we're here not trying to change each other's opinions. And that's why I shared my thoughts. I support your decision, and I'm going to stand by you either way. Um, for me, the solution is just communication and education. And, again, I stated it a number of times. I'm here for the same reason you are. I got a little boy, and I want a better life for him than we have today. But that is not going to happen until the masses of African-Americans and European-Americans have the same goal, which is to quit the pissing contest, to quit the this isn't fair, and just come together and say we're going to heal and we're going to be a better race. We're going to be a human race, not a white-black race. And that's why I'm here, and that's what my goals are. And, and hopefully that last bit that we went through can, can translate into the, uh, into the written word and the dialogue because I know the African-American community – going to try to crucify me for it but the bottom line is i'm not against it i'm just saying give the masses of european americans who are unaware a reason to care instead of to shut down that's my message i'll say this to my european american listeners and i'll say this to you john in closing and i and when we talk about certain things being unbalanced and unfair i think personally that it is the responsibility of the european american masses to take the lead and to take control and meet African-Americans, go above and beyond to meet African-Americans halfway, because the power in this country lies within the European masses. That's just the way the country has been set up. Agreed. And as, Agreed. as this, um, you know, this, this, this general, I'm going to post this link to the article of this army vet who wrote about uh, respect and power and, and why he supports Colin Kaepernick's decision. He says that electricity flows from greater potential to lesser power flows from positive to negative. The United States isn't a person. It's a vast construct, a framework of law and order and civilization designed to protect the weak from the ruthless. And after more than two centuries of revision and refinement, it exists to provide an equal measure for all of us, the opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The United States is power. All the power rests with America, just as it does in the military chain of command. And like that chain of command, like the electrical circuit described above, respect must flow from greater to lesser first before it can return. And I'll just leave everyone with that. So respect must, in my opinion, respect must flow from the greater percentage of the population to the lesser. It's like, I feel like African-Americans and other minorities, we are guests in America. And when someone comes to your home or in your space or to your company or to whatever you value, and they're, and they're a guest, you have to first make them feel comfortable. And I feel like to this point in our history, European Americans collectively as a generalization have not taken on the responsibility and the personal accountability to say, what can we do to make you feel comfortable? 
So I'm putting, and I'm, I will stand on top of a million roofs, and I will put that out there, not from a place of victimization, but from a place of understanding power dynamics, that it is your responsibility as a European-American person to make African-American people feel welcome first before that respect will flow backwards, because that's just the way that the world and the energy is all designed. So that's a heavy thought, and I know it is, but I'm going to leave you guys with that, and I'm going to say that's our time for today. We have two minutes, so I'm going to speed through this. Um, a special thank you to my co-host, John. Um, John, I'm going to speak for you really quick because of time. You can reach John on Facebook at John Costino. That's Costino with a C, C-O-S-T-I-N-O. Find John Costino on Facebook as well as uh, John Costino at yahoo.com, um, as well as please be sure to subscribe to the Race Haven podcast on the iPhone podcast app or Stitcher radio app for Android so that you never miss the dialogue. And if, if you love this show, please leave us a review on the apps. This will help our show gain more visibility. We want to hear from you. So please email us uh, at solutions at racehavenpodcast.com. And also you can visit us on our Facebook page at our uh, group, which is the community dialogue, Race Haven Community Dialogue, or the Race Haven Podcast Facebook page where you can listen to previous shows as well. If today's episode resonated with you, please share this link on your social media and email or text message to tell your friends to listen to Race Haven, okay? A Race Haven is a safe place for people from diverse ethnic, religious, cultural, and political backgrounds to bring their race-based perspectives, questions, assumptions, frustrations, and experiences to engage in thoughtful, honest dialogue in an effort to transcend race and unify America. Remember, we are all smarter when we think together. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Race Haven Radio Show and Podcast. Be sure to visit www.racehavenblog.com to comment and learn more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.